0: Good morning, everyone. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, as we come before you this morning, Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have for us, that you would close our ears to any error that I may speak, Father God. I pray, Lord, that um, that as we continue this series, as we continue our look into John, that you would teach us the meaning of what he is trying to teach us, Lord that you would help us to understand the mystery of the Antichrist and what that means in our congregations, what that means in our own lives. And Father, that you would help us to understand how to, de- how to defend against it. But Lord, how to develop spiritual lives, how to develop lives where we learn to listen to you, where we learn to draw close to you, when we learn, to Lord, to live in the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I was <clears throat> reading a story uh, by Herschel Hobbes. He gives an illustration. Two farmers had adjoining farms. One man was Christian. The other was an unbeliever. The Christian farmer faithfully observed the Lord's Day. He and his family worshipped always. They took time off. Uh, they spent time together and in prayer that day, and they wouldn't work on Sundays. The other guy was not a Christian. Uh, well, he was a Christian, but he... Rarely went to church, he worked all day Sunday, and he worked seven days a week. Now come October, the one who had worked seven days a week had a lot more to show for it than the one who had worked six days a week. And so he began to brag to his neighbor and make fun of him for it. When he taunted his neighbor about this, the latter replied, God does not settle his accounts in October, but eventually God does Settle them. Of course, what he was talking about was the fourth commandment uh, honor, the, honor the Sabbath day, right? Now, it's an interesting passage, it's an interesting story, excuse me, and I think it's very similar to what the Apostle John warns us about in our gospel passage this morning when he speaks <clears throat> about the seductiveness and the lie of the Antichrist. So, last week we looked a little bit at the end times. John's not going super deep into the end times in this epistle. Of course, I think he writes a book on that somewhere. Uh, it's hard to find in the Bible. Um, the two hardest books I think to find in the Bible are Genesis and, and, and Revelation, right? So, uh, but he does write a whole book on that. So he doesn't really go into it so much here. But he does mention the Antichrist. They're tempting to follow. They're easy to give into, and they're seemingly very rewarding at the time when you do give into them. But the path comes with a horrible price, and that's what we're going to learn about this morning. 1 John 2, 26. He says this, I write to you, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Excuse me. And now John continues the conversation on Deception with his audience. We learned about that a little bit last week. There were deceivers who came into the congregation and had led some away. But he calls these deceivers antichrist. Now, if you remember last week, we learned that antichrists are not the same as false messiahs. A false messiah may claim that I am Jesus. They may try to lead you to, um, to the Father. They may, they may also be false teachers. Right? So you may have false teachers who come in and they teach you about Jesus, but they kind of have false teachings and lead you astray. That doesn't seem to be what the Antichrists are. Antichrists deny Jesus and they deny the Father. So they seem to be teachers that lead you down a secular path or a path to another religion, a path that leads you away from God in some way or another. Now, that's po- it's possible that they come into the church and they mix church and secularism. That certainly happened in my uh, my denomination. The denomination I grew up in was the Episcopal Church. It's happened in a lot of mainline denominations, and so there are. It is possible to be an antichrist and be in those. But typically, you're talking about false teachers there, and that doesn't seem to be what John is talking about here. Now. There, is a, there are little antichrists. That's what John is talking about. He's not talking about the large antichrist who is possibly the same person as the man of lawlessness or various figures in Revelation. Uh, nor are these larger antichrists like maybe Nero or I was talking about President Z in China who right now, why do I say President Z? Well, right now he's persecuting Christians. He's taking down crosses and they're setting up pictures of the president. In place of those crosses. If you're going to worship anyone, worship this man. Now, it's common in communist dictatorships. It's common, uh, Stalin, for instance, when he died, there are people who are expecting him to rise from the dead after he died, right? We began to worship him and deify him as a god, right? So we have this innate thing within us that we want to worship a god, and so we're going to replace him as a god, and so uh, Marxism communism dictatorships uh, will often worship their leader and that's a common thing that happens but the the antichrist that John is talking about are more run of the mill antichrists who we are going to run into in our congregations or on the local level or in denominations from time to time we're going to see them in the world all around us <clears> the <throat> little antichrists are people in John's day and in ours who will come in, and they're going to pull weaker believers away. So there's something that we have to watch for in our day and in every day of the church for all sorts of reasons not having to do with the gospel. And that's what antichrists are. So they're, they're not false teachers. They're pulling you away for reasons not having to do with the gospel. And this would be different than a false teacher or a rebellious member. So the Antichrist would be what Jesus calls a wolf, but a wolf could be many more things than the Antichrist. Where do I get wolf from? John 10, 11 to 13. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So the sheep here are the people of God, right? That's who it is. It's you all in the congregation. It's the the larger church. It's the people in the congregation. The good shepherd is, of course, who? Jesus. Good job. Gold stars, everybody. The good shepherd is Jesus. Who is the hired hand? Better not say pastor. No. (laughs) Who is the hired hand? So the hired hand is somebody who comes in to watch the sheep but doesn't really care doesn't really care about them. He may be talking about the false teachers in Israel. He may be talking about other people. But there are people who come into the congregation who don't really care about the sheep. And they're, they may be false teachers. They may be people who are weak pastors. They're, they're going to be shown when persecution comes, the hired hand is going to run and flee. That's how you know the hired hand. So they could, be, they could have, actually be pastors. But they're not going to be teaching the word of God. They're not going to be faithful to the flock. They're people who are in it for themselves. <clears throat> now, the wolf is the enemy. The wolf is the enemy. A wolf who comes into the congregation. Of course, there's the big wolf, which is Satan. And, and, but you've got to understand that the big wolf is the opposite of the good shepherd, right? So it is Satan. Um, not, not totally equal to, to Jesus, but the opposite. So he's Satan. However, in this parable... The shepherds, later who are going to come, are going to be the apostles, and then the episcopos, which are the bishops, and the presbyters, the overseers, right, or the, the elders. Those are now going to be the little shepherds, the little shepherds who follow the good shepherd. Now the wolf that comes into the congregation is also going to have little wolves. And those wolves can be a lot of things. They can be false teachers, uh, they can be um, abusers. They can be all kinds of things, but they are dangerous to the congregation. They can be people who come in and destroy the community in lots of ways. All right, that's the wolf. So the wolf could be an antichrist, or the wolf could be something else. It could be a lot of things that destroy the congregation. That's the wolf. But a wolf is, is distinguished as a person who is intentionally trying to destroy, right, as opposed to a clumsy Christian, <laughs> We've got a lot of clumsy Christians, we've got a lot of inept people that are inept socially, or they might be inept as teachers, and they just need discipline and they're gonna come back to the flock. A wolf is somebody who comes in and intentionally wants to destroy. Okay, that's a wolf. A wolf is a different a different kind of person. They are a servant of Satan. All right. And this is why so pastors or bishops are the ones that Jesus, called by Jesus, to tend the flock. And this is why we call priests. A priest is the Old English for presbyter, right? That's where we get it. So Catholic priests, uh, they take it from the Old Testament word Kohain, the Old Testament word priest. That's not where Anglicans get it. It's an Anglican word. It's not a Catholic word. They hijacked our word, right? They hijacked our word. It it is true. Priest comes from presbyter. presbyter, which turned into prester in Old English, which turned into preost, which turned into priest. So when I was ordained, it says I'm ordained to the office of priest or presbyter, okay? And that's what we mean. So priest, um, elders are pastors. They are shepherds of the flock or episkopos, that means bishop. We get this term from the early church in passages such as this more specifically, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you are who are younger, be subject to the elders. So pastor comes from shepherd, right? Pastor means pastoral. It's an old word, but it meant shepherd. And so that's what we mean. That's why you call somebody pastor. And that's why I say if you're from the, uh, a Protestant denomination, you'll often call me Pastor Jeff. If you're from another denomination, you'll call, call me the priest. or you call me Father Jeff. Father just simply means father in the faith. doesn't mean uh, uh a, a lot of people confuse that when it's call no man father um and that's that's wrong but but then jesus says really call no man dad that's actually what the greek word says and how many of you call your dad dad right so obviously that's not what jesus means right so okay whatever all right that's a whole other thing i'll i'll talk about that nonsense later all right so they're tasked with leading the flock or the church The antichrist then, and so the the pastor is, in a sense, a model of the good shepherd. We're a foreshadowing of the good shepherd. Do you follow that? A pastor is a little shepherd, a little good shepherd. All right. How does that relate to the antichrist? Well, there's going to be an antichrist at the end. That's what John talks about with a capital A. There's going to be one antichrist at the end who's a massive deceiver, okay, who's massively destructive to the world that's the antichrist with the capital a but in before that there are going to be a lot of little antichrists with tiny a's they're going to be deceivers who also destroy and lead the flock away and they're just like little pastors so the antichrist is set up against the good shepherd right the opposite of the good shepherd just like the wolf was the opposite of the good shepherd. The Antichrist is also then the opposite of Christ. And so like where the models of Christ, the Antichrist, the little ones, then are foreshadowings of what is to come, and that's what John is talking about. So who are these little Antichrists? Well, they contain the spirit of the age, of the world in which we live, and they're accomplished deceivers of the flock, but their particular deception is to draw the flock into the sins of the world, to embrace what is wicked as good. And we read this a few verses earlier, 1 John two fifteen and 16. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. So you follow me on that. We've read that before. So Antichrist, the big one, and the little ones, want, to, want us to worship the things of the world. So we see that at work in our day, don't we? we've always seen it. Now, it's not new to our day, but we see it right now in a strong way in the United States, in a way that we haven't seen it in previous generations, but we are seeing it in a powerful way in our generation. Now, it's always been at work, it's always at work, but today it's very powerfully at work, in in, in the sense that we have a significant segment of the population that thinks that if you follow anything from the Bible— You are evil. That the biblical version of morality is actually wicked. Right? That is the spirit of Antichrist. The Bible is wrong. It is evil. And so we're reinventing just about every facet of our ethical system and basing it upon the opinion of an elite class rather than an absolute truth of a holy God. And this is the thing about which Paul's speaking in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Does that sound like what's happening currently, increasingly, in our society? Right? That is the spirit of Antichrist. That's what's happening. This is what happens when God leaves a society or when we push God out of our lives and we begin to live for the secular. We try to live and we fill it with other religions. We have the appearance of godliness We deny its power, even in the church. A lot of churches then are absorbing this, and we're becoming powerless. And so we see all of these attributes alive, of them well, and we see most of them celebrated as good by many parts of our society and European society. And so the spirit of Antichrist, what he does, or what it does, is it leads believers in the church, it sucks them out and believes and takes them into the world and begins to make them think that this spirit is good. So John's saying that this is happening in his day, that many have been sucked out from among us, and they've been drawn by the spirit of Antichrist into the world of the Greeks, into the world of the Romans, into the world of the Egyptians, into the world of whatever it is, the false gods, or Bacchus, the celebration and the partying, or Diana of the hunt, or whatever it was they were drawn into, they were sucked out. And that's happened when you read through the church all the way through. So when I was in college, uh, one of the things professors loved to do was point out every flaw in the church. They never went through and pointed out all the good the church did, right? It was amazing to me that the church throughout the 2,000 years of our existence has only done bad things and has never done anything good, right? It It was like clockwork, where secularists always did things that were good and rarely did things that were bad. I mean, it was just like, it was weird. And I wondered how Christian societies became so peaceful and educated and all these other things happened. <clears throat> it, was really, it was really odd. And so they've been poisoning people against the gospel. We learn about this, and we learn that the gospel is evil. And it's been a steady thing. It's been a drumbeat that's happened for over 120 years, or 100 and, actually 140 years, and that's what we're kind of facing today. So it draws believers away into this world, into this thinking. We begin to think that the world is the way to go. So to counteract this poison of the world, how do we do it? Well, John teaches us this. He says this, 1 John 2, 27 to 29. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true and it is no lie, just as it has taught you, Abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him. Now, abide means to dwell. Dwell in Jesus. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in the name, in in shame at his coming. So if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So the protection from this particular sin is living in the Holy Spirit. Now, He's saying, that which is in you from the beginning. Now, don't misunderstand me. He's not saying that you should never be trained in your theology and trained in your faith. Training in your theology and training in your faith is a necessary prerequisite for many things, right? And there are false teachers. You need to be trained or you will, you will lose that battle. There are many things and many wolves that come that the training prepares you for. Many things in persecution that the training prepares you for. I qualify that because I always run into some charismatics who are like, woohoo, spirit only. No, no, brother. And I smack them and smack them and smack them. But I say this the other way because I've got evangelicals who are like, yeah, Bible only. No, also smack them. Okay? This is your smackdown if you're an evangelical. The spirit of Antichrist, the protection here is the Holy Spirit. There is a seductiveness of the world. There is a draw out of the church. And you see it now with believers. I'm seeing it now with priests. In fact, there are a couple things that were written. We've had two bishops fall in the last year and get defrocked. We've had um uh we've had several priests that I've watched, multiple priests and a canon get sucked into the world in our own denomination so that they began teaching what the world is teaching and trying to push it into the ACNA in massive ways. One priest just put out a clarion call for people of a certain persuasion and sin. Man, you've got to come in and be priests, not come into our church to be ministered to, which we all call, but you've got to call and be priests, openly defying the bishops. So that this, this seductiveness... It makes you popular, at least in Christians' minds. And then Christians begin to think, wow, I'm a rebel, I'm standing up, I'm strong, right? I'm standing against my people, look how brave I am. But they don't realize that their people are the vast minority in this world, right? The path to heaven is narrow, and the gates of hell are wide, Jesus says. So when you think you're standing up against your people, you are not, You are standing up against a tiny minority and jumping in the deep end with a huge, vast population who is all wicked. You think you're brave. You're not. You're simply jumping in with the mainstream against your own people, smacking them down, assaulting, and going into the spirit of the Antichrist. The deception is powerful. The lure to be like that is very strong. Now others simply fall into it because they realize that the love of the world is more attractive than the love of Jesus to them. And here's where we'll end. But John's warning, though, is to the believer. He says this, take care when you dance with the devil. It may be fun. She may be sexy and wearing a beautiful red dress or he may be handsome in a handsome tux, or wrangler jeans, or whatever you like. It's seductive to dance with the devil. It always looks good. The world comes against and assaults the church in every generation. Every generation. We make the mistake of looking to past generations and thinking they were perfect. They were not. Pastors and people in every church had to stand up, right? Even in our culture, we're in the South now. Did you know churches burned in the South for taking stances for the gospel 50 years ago, 70 years ago, and 100 years ago? Pastors, white pastors were killed for taking gospel stances. In our own country, black pastors were killed. In our own country it happens everywhere. The church has always had to stand, and this age is no different. There was no good age where the church never had to stand, but there are some ages where it's worse, some time periods where it's more awful than other periods. And so John says, take care when you dance, You may think it's fun, you may enjoy it, or you may simply be too cowardly to stand up to the world. You may flee rather than standing up with your brothers or sisters in Jesus in the time of trial. But we are eternal creatures and not finite ones, John says. There will come a day when you will stand before Jesus and you will have to answer for your actions in the time of trial. And John's encouragement and warning is to dwell in Jesus And to live in the power of the Holy Spirit in these times. So that when the Antichrist comes, you won't cave. Because when you cave, there will come a day when Jesus comes again. Or when you will stand before Jesus. And all your brothers and sisters will be around you. And in that day, all of your deeds will be exposed. And when you danced with the devil and enjoyed it, It will look very embarrassing, is what John says. Those who fall away, of course, there's hell to pay. But for those who didn't, the shame will be strong. And what he says then is stand fast. Remember who you are. Don't give in. Live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen?